From the hallowed hallways of Shed High School, from WSHDLP Eastport, this is Round the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane from Eastport, Maine. Stay tuned for historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Round the World Mother's Day Open Mic Competition. I'm here with my two offspring, Sally and Jimbo, along with an esteemed panel of judges consisting entirely of grandmothers and our voluminous studio audience. We'd like to thank everyone who signed up to entertain us mothers and honorary mothers this evening and wish them good luck competing for our roster of fabulous prizes. Mom. Oh, and also a big thanks to our sponsor, Mom, Sally called me a homo sapien. Sally, stop calling your brother a homo sapien. All right, who's on first? Cab Calloway and his 1937 orchestra. Now, don't be nervous. The first song is named Mama, I Wanna Make Rhythm. Yasha was a prodigy since he was a kid of three. He could play a rhapsody as good as they come. But as strange as it may be, Yasha hated melody. He had a yen for timpani. He longed to play a drum. When his mama made him practice on his fiddle every day, he'd stop right in the middle and he'd say, Mama, I want to make rhythm. Don't want to make music. Just want to go ski-bip-di-bang-bang-bang-bang-bang-bang-bang-bang-bang-bang-bang-bang-bang-bang-bang-bang-bang-bang-bang-bang-bang-bang-bang-bang-bang-bang-bang-bang-bang-bang-bang
That was Cab Calloway and his orchestra with the 1937 Mama, I Wanna Make Rhythm. And welcome back to the Round the World Mother's Day Open Mic Competition. We'll be hearing, I believe, songs in ten different languages. Mom? Mom? Jimbo was dancing. No, I wasn't. I was just moving my arms and legs around in time to the music. Pipe down, you scurvy kids. Well, we're pleased to see that our own Henry Burr from St. Stephen, New Brunswick, is competing tonight, and he is up next. He'll be singing a little something from 1919 called That Wonderful Mother of Mine. Mine. 
Isabella Yakulevna Kremer from 1928, and she gave us Mother Told Me, which she sang in Ukrainian. And she was preceded by Henry Burr, who sang That Wonderful Mother of Mine from 1919. The panel of judges appear to be enjoying the performers so far. We have an expert jury consisting of actual highly credentialed babushkas determining who will walk away with the top prizes this evening. And next, stepping up to the Mother's Day open mic is Jan Savitt and his Top Hatters, who for their 1941 act will attempt to spell Mother. Thank you. 
M is for the million things she gave me. O means only that she's growing old. T is for the tears were shed to say. H is for her heart of purest gold. E is for her eyes with love light shining. R means right, and right she'll always be. Put them all together. They spell mother. A word that means the world to me. Mother means the world. Remember that she knows. 
Stick to Your Mother, Tom, a song of pathos from 1911, delivered by Will Oakland. Before him, Jan Savitt successfully spelled mother, with the assistance of his 1941 orchestra. You are tuned to the Round the World Mother's Day Open Mic, Ecomiums of Motherhood, delivered in 10 different languages. So far we've heard English and Ukrainian. How about a little Yiddish? Sophie Tucker is bellying up to the microphone. Here is the 1924 Mama Goes Where Papa Goes. Gonna help them, but they let that stop. 
Ihr weiß, dass sie was läuft und für deine Schicksale. Die Herr doch keiner Bremmerle. Rick doch was vom Tier. Ey, wir lieben Schocken, Schimmelschocken, so mit mir. Weil die kennst doch doch nicht ohne Essen. Mit Kusche oder Steak. Und gehen für deine Schicksale essen, frei für Steak. Weil der Mama geht, wie der Tater geht. Der Tater tut alleine gehen, an der Verplatz. Der Tater tut alleine gehen. Banjo Ike Robinson just belted out Rock Me Mama, and his bull fiddle band helped out too. Before that, Mama Goes Where Papa Goes, sung in Yiddish by Sophie Tucker. 
We're at the Round the World Mother's Day open mic. The studio audience is buzzing with excitement, and the judges are busily scribbling down their comments. In fact, it's a little warm in here with all the bodies crammed into this popular event. I'll go check the thermostat. No, I will. I was first. The temperature is 77 degrees. No, it isn't. It's 76.875 Fahrenheit. Oh, shut up. I'm going to put you kids out in the car if you don't settle down. Now, who is next on the sign-up sheet? Let's put our hands together to welcome Madame Bolduc, who is going to give us a 1936 French-Canadian Les Belles Mères a.k.a. the Mothers-in-Law. Tu me demandes pourquoi je suis triste Ma belle-mère est rendue à la maison Elle est affirienne, lui résiste quand elle parle, elle a toujours raison. Si t'étais pas mou comme une chique, elle se mettrait pas le nez dans tes chaudrons. À ta place, je prendrais une brique, j'y en donnerais cinq, six coups sur le citron. Trop de Tu connais pas ma belle-mère, elle ne fait pas rien qu'à la regarder. Elle a de l'air d'une vieille sorcière, on dirait d'une vieille fille enragée. Jusqu'à si mauvais caractère, si t'avais pas de l'air aussi tata, j'aurais dit mille fois dans de tes affaires, j'aurais montré de quel point tu chaussais. Tout cela c'est bien facile à dire S'il y en a qui veulent se marier Faites pas comme moi pauvre martyr Croyez-moi, je suis bien mal à manger. Dans la vie, chacun a ses misères. Moi, je prends la vie du bon côté. Si tu veux, pour oublier ta belle-mère, tous les deux, nous allons surlutter. Trop de la Comme c'était hier sa fête, elle m'a demandé pour l'embrasser. Comme elle prise et qu'elle sent la vieille pipe, j'ai manqué de mourir empoisonné. Veux-tu que je te donne la manière, si tu veux bien t'en débarrasser? Mais j'y donne bonne pilule dans sa théière, elle viendrait plus jamais t'achaler.
Hokkaido Sunday afternoon. There goes by two two eight. She was talking on down to town on the Alanui Kapakahi way. Hokkaido Sunday afternoon. There goes by two two eight. She was talking on down to town on the Alanui Kapakahi way. She's singing an old melody of Anapau Elili Ueo. Two two will show you how to do. That hula ami oni oni eh. She's singing an old melody of Anapau Eli Ueo. Do do we show you how to do that hula ami oni oni That's the drink of the South Sea Islands. Oh, ooh, oh, na, oh, tu, tu, eh, and now she's doing the hula rumbugee. Tu, tu, in the week of a That's the drink of the South Sea Islands. Oh, ooh, oh, na, oh, tu, tu, eh, and now she's doing the hula rumbugee. Before her, Madame Bolduc sang Les Belles Mères and played the harmonica. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We're in the Round the World studio for the exciting Mother's Day Open Mic Contest. Today we are going to hear 10 different languages. Now, kids, can, can anyone find Tunisia on the map? I can. Oh, I can. It's here in the Caribbean. That's Trinidad, you dope. Tunisia is on the northern coast of Africa. Please welcome our next contestant, Delilah Rochdi from 1930s Tunisia, who will sing Haradli Gwelbi. He set my heart on fire, mama. Shake a 
just heard Don Voorhees and his orchestra who played their 1930 hit, Go Home and Tell Your Mother, their entry in the Round the World Mother's Day Open Mic Contest. They were preceded by Delilah Rochdi, who is here all the way from 1930s Tunisia on the northern coast of Africa. She sang Harali Guelbi, He Set My Heart on Fire, Mama. Who will walk away with the Mother's Day Championship? We have six more contestants singing in four additional languages. We've already heard Yiddish, French-Canadian, Hawaiian, Ukrainian, Tunisian, and of course, English. And we're pleased to offer salutations to Joseph Troillo from 1947, Haiti. He'll be accompanied now by Isael Saye and his orchestra. Here is T. Mama. (laughs) 
pour moi, pas quitter malet. Si maman fait caresse pour moi, pas quitter malet. Si maman fait dodo dans les pas quitter malet. Si maman fait caresse pour moi, pas quitter malet. Depuis quelques jours, c'est une seule parole. Mama, 
every night, oh, you can't see mama at all. Monday night, I sat alone. Tuesday night, you sit phone. Wednesday night, you didn't call. And on Thursday night, the same old stall. Friday night, you dug my path. Saturday night, you took your bath. Sunday night you called on me, but you brought three girls for company. I don't want the kind of chic who does his seeking once a week. You've got to see mama every night, or you can't see mama at all. Lads, Black Aces from 1923, with a little warning for you kids. You've got to see your mama every night. Before them, Joseph Troyo sang Tea Mama in Haitian Creole, and he was aided and abetted by Isa El Saye in his 1947 orchestra. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. Round the World is broadcasting from the Mother's Day open mic, taking place right here in front of our studio audience. Our esteemed panel of superannuated grandmothers is scribbling notes and soberly conferring as the contestants nervously await the results. Who will go home tonight with the fabulous prizes? And mothers, ever feel like you're at the breaking point? You're working, taking care of the house, the meals, the kids are running around screaming. Maybe it's time to enroll in the Kingsley Life Skills Institute course on multitasking for mothers. You'll learn how to operate a backhoe while nursing as you study for that online degree. Graduates of Multitasking for Mothers think nothing of rewiring the house as dinner is cooking on the stove while they're on hold making doctor appointments for the munchkins and remaining calm and focused. And the benefits of the Kingsley Life Skills Institute Multitasking course can also be enjoyed by honorary mothers such as aunties and Mr. Moms. Now welcome back to the Mother's Day open mic. The audience is anxiously anticipating the next contestant, Peter Leshtenko, king of the Russian tango. Here is his 1930s rendition of Serzi Mami, A Mother's Heart. Покрыла сердце дрожью, я потеряла любовь мою. Сын мой оставил меня одну, мой славный мой сыночек. Забыл ты маму свою, тебя молю я вернуть покой мне, и слезно я зову к тебе. Бедное сердце мамы Еле стучит в груди. Бедное сердце мамы 
ищет покой тиши. Доктора не забите, ты на мне возвратите, С ним хоть один часок пробыть, Так тяжело мне
fortidspibøren er så uerfarne, de siger, ja, når vi skulle sige nej. Se dem hænge rundt på kaffebarne, lille søster, hvad er det med dig? Gå hjem til din mor, og vent til du bliver stor, med selv at blive mor, lille nord. Du skulle have smæk, din lille frække sæk. Gå hjem og vask op og dæk bord. Din fjollede tøs, du er kun til navn. Din far er arbejdsløs, og så går du på barn. Gå hjem til din mor, gå hjem og sig bevæg. Hun tilgiver dig nok, skal du se. Ludwig Brandstrup from 1942 Denmark. We just heard him sing, Go yem til din mor. Go home to your mother. He was preceded at the microphone by Peter Levchenko, king of the Russian tango, who gave us Serce Mami, a mother's heart. And we're down to our last two contestants. We've heard mother songs in English, Ukrainian, Hawaiian, Yiddish, French Canadian, Russian, Danish, Haitian Creole, Tunisian, and for our next song, we hear German, sung by Greta Keller. The 1932 title translates as My Mother Was From Vienna. Mm. 
Our last and final contestant in the Mother's Day Open Mic Contest that was Memphis Slim, assisted by the 1950 House Rockers. He sang Mother Earth. They were preceded by Greta Keller, who sang My Mother Was From Vienna in German. And it looks like the panel of grandmas has come to a decision. Which of our Mother's Day open mic contestants will victoriously march away with fabulous prizes? And today's winner is... They are announcing that all the acts were nice and they loved them all equally. 
and that each of the contestants is going home with a winning hand-knit crochet cap with a pom-pom and a plate of homemade zucchini bars. And thus ends the special Mother's Day open mic. The studio audience heard contestants sing mother songs in 10 different languages, including English, Ukrainian, Hawaiian, Yiddish, French-Canadian, Russian, Danish, Haitian Creole, Tunisian, and German. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. Our audience members and performers will now settle back for a 1948 episode of The Jack Benny Show, in which Jack dresses as an auntie, which is a special category of honorary mother. So let's listen. Strike program starring Jack Benny with Barry Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Jack Benny has just returned from his stay in Palm Springs. So let's go out to Jack's house in Beverly Hills. It's morning, and we find Rochester in the kitchen. I'm overlooking a sink full of dishes that I overlooked all week. There's spoons and there's saucers and dirt on the oh, floor. Oh, good morning. Good morning, Rochester. Oh, oh good morning, boys. Did you, did you have a nice night? Oh, pretty good, Rochester. But did you know I had a difficult time falling asleep? I counted 3,000 sheets. 3,020 to be exact. Was it that many? Yeah, and boss, tonight when you go to bed, why don't you take a little pill? No, Rochester, I prefer to count sheep. I know, but I feel so silly putting on that white coat and jumping back and forth over your bedpost. <laughs> Rochester, if I can toss and turn, you can jump a little. Doesn't hurt. Now pour me some coffee. Okay. Just a minute, boys. Why'd you pull down the shade? In case Mr. Coleman looks out of his window, I don't want him to see you. Oh, yes, yes. He's still mad about my losing his Oscar, isn't he? Mad? Yesterday he came over and got one of our lawnmowers. Well, that's all right. I know, but he mowed half his lawn before he put the flag down on the meter. (laughs) (laughs) Gee, Rochester, if Mr. Coleman finds out I'm back from Palm Springs, no telling what he'll do. But I have to go to the studio. How am I going to get out of the house without him seeing me? Well, let me see. I know. What? Get down on all fours, I'll throw the bearskin rug over you and lead you out of the house on a leash. No, no, that wouldn't work. Suppose he comes over to pet me. I'll leave the muzzle off so you can bite him. (laughs) I probably break my tooth on his garter, silly. But I gotta get out of the house without Mr. Coleman seeing me. Say, boss, I know what you can do. What? You've still got your old Charlie's Ant costume. Why don't you put that on? Say, that's a wonderful idea. If I'm dressed like a woman, he won't recognize me. That's it. You take it, Rochester. I'll go in and put on my Charlie's Ant costume. Yes, sir. Mr. Benny's residence, star of stage, screen, radio, and will accept the nomination for any party that'll let him rent out rooms in the White House. <laughs> hello, Rochester. This is Miss Livingston. Oh, oh, hello, Miss Livingston. How did you enjoy your two-week stay in Palm Springs? Oh, wonderful, Rochester. I was on the golf course with Mr. Benny every day. I know, and Mr. Benny said you owed him $4.35. That's right. I didn't know he could beat you. He didn't beat me. He caddied for me. 
By the way, Rochester, how does Mr. Benny feel now? Much better, but when he got home from Palm Springs, he was green. What made him so sick? Well, he stopped at an orange juice stand that said all you can drink for 10 cents, and we had to roll him back in the car. <laughs> oh, so that's what it was. He woke me up when he came sloshing into the house. <laughs> well, Rochester... Please tell Mr. Benny that I'll pick him up in a few minutes on my way down to the studio. That'll be fine, Miss Livingston, but would you mind waiting for him down on the corner? On the corner? Why? Uh, Mr. Benny will explain it to you when he sees you. All right, Rochester. Goodbye. Goodbye. Are you decent, boss? <laughs> Rochester, how do I look in my Charlie's Ant costume? Well, let me see. You've got the wig on straight, and your curls tumble down over your forehead in a tantalizing manner. Thank you. Thank you, Rochester. Your mascara is just heavy enough to accentuate the blue in your eyes. Good, good. Uh, your lips have the red glow of a summer sun as it slowly sinks into the peaceful Pacific. <laughs> well. And your... Uh-oh. What's the matter? You better pull up your shoulder straps. Your hair on your chest is showing. <laughs> oh, nobody will notice that when I wear my shawl. Oh, my goodness, look what time it is. I better get started for the studio. Uh, I told Miss Livingston to pick you up on the corner. Well, that's a good idea. Gee, I hope nobody recognizes me. Rochester, does this dress really make me look like a woman? Boss, if this was Mother's Day, you'd be lousy with flowers. <laughs> good, good. So long, Rochester. Goodbye. Hmm. A little chilly. I'm glad I wore this shawl. <laughs> a pretty girl is like a melody. Da 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 da. Gee, if I pass Georgie Jessel, I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> but it'll be interesting. <laughs> oh. Well, as soon as I get in Mary's car, I'll take off this dress and... Uh-oh. Oh, my goodness. Here comes Ronald Coleman walking this way. I just put down my head and crossed the street. Gee, that was close. Better be careful, lady. Huh? May I help you across the street? Uh, well, thank you. Thank you very much. But I can manage by myself. Well, well, let, let me take your arm. Well, all right. <laughs> Am I walking too fast for you, Mother? No, no. no, no. <laughs> well, here we are across the street. Yes, now, now watch the curb. Upsa-daisy. Thank you. Very much, Mr. Coleman. Oh, you you recognize me? Yes, yes. Now I have to run. Uh, would you would you like my autograph? Oh, not now. I'm in a hurry. I oh, have to... only take a minute. I'm sorry, but I don't have a pencil or a paper. I really haven't. Oh, I don't need pencil and paper. I have them written out on little cards. <laughs> uh, you know the um, the demand has been quite heavy lately. 
Oh. Oh, then I'll take one. No, take two. Give one to your husband. <laughs> Thank you. He's dead. He'll be thrilled. He'll be thrilled to death. Uh, uh, by the way, madam, am I the first movie star you ever met? Well, no, no. I once met Charles Farrell, star of Seventh Heaven. <laughs> Charlie Farrell. No, no. Must have been before my time. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks again, Mr. Coleman. You're my favorite Oscar. I mean, actor. You're my favorite actor. What was that? Goodbye, goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks so much. Goodbye. Gosh, that was a narrow escape. I don't know how much longer I could have held out. There's a fly under my wig. <laughs> I'll get him. I'll comb him out later. <laughs> now, let me see. Rochester said that Mary would pick me... Oh, here's Mary's car over there. I beg your pardon, madam, but I'm... Wondering... Mary, it's me, it's me. Oh, for heaven's sake, Jack. What are you doing in that outfit? I had to put it on so I could sneak out of the house without Ronald Coleman recognizing me. It's a good thing I did, too, because I bumped into him. Well, I just saw Ronnie, too. Oh, my goodness. If he saw you, he'll be sure to know that I'm around. Oh, he didn't see me, Jack. He just walked by the car and threw his autograph in the back seat. <laughs> the back seat? Oh, yeah, here it is. Well, what do you know? This one has glue on it so you can stick it on your windshield. <laughs> Come on, Mary, let's go. Jack, you're not going to the studio dressed as Charlie's aunt, are you? No, no, Mary, I have my suit on underneath. I'll slip the dress off while you're driving. No, no, Jack, don't take it off. I want to remember you just the way you are. What? The way your curls tumble down over your forehead in a tantalizing manner. Say, Rochester said the same thing. And your mascara is just heavy enough to accentuate the blue of your eyes. That's funny. He said that, too. And your lips have the red glow of a summer sun slowly sinking into the La Brea tar pits. Mary. I bet he didn't think of that one. No, no, he didn't. Now, come on, let's hurry to the studio. I can't get this... I gotta get this dress off before we get there. I'm going into my dressing room. Call me when you start the rehearsal, will you? Okay, I'll see you later. Oh, oh, there's Mel Blank. Hello, Mel. Hello, Jack. Are you going to use me on your show today? No, no, Mel. I spent too much money in Palm Springs. Maybe next week, huh? So long, Mel. So long. That's all, folks. He's a clever guy. It's a shame he won't work cheaper. <laughs> oh, well, da-dee-da-dum, da -dee. Hiya, Jackson. Long time no see. Oh, hello, Phil. Hi. Hey, Phil. Hey, Jackson. What? Let me look at you. You know you're staying in Palm Springs. Did you a lot of good? You're two inches taller. What? You're oh, taller. Oh, darn it. I forgot to take off these high-heeled shoes. <laughs> but, Phil, no kidding. I sure missed you on our last two shows. I know. What? You need me, Jackson. You need me. What do you mean? I got big laughs, didn't yeah, I? Yeah, you got laughs, but there was something missing. You know, your program without me is like a Persian rug. It looks good, but it just lays there. <laughs> Phil. Look, Jackson, you tried it without me for two weeks. Now, have you learned your lesson? 
What? If you can't take the talent with you, stay where the talent is. <laughs> Phil, Phil, shrinking violet. Look. How can you possibly be so egotistical? I ain't egotistical, Jackson. I just say if you got an effervescent personality, let it fizz, let it fizz. Well, if that doesn't stop the air conditioning, nothing will. Now, Phil, this week we got a very important show, so let's get started with the rehearsal. Okay, I'll be waiting a minute, Jackson. I want to go in and run over Dennis's song with him. Okay, I'll come along with you. Come on. All right, all right, all right, man. Hold it, hold it, hold it. Let's run through Dennis's number once more. All right, come on. There was a boy, a very strange, enchanted boy. They say he wandered very far, very far over land and sea. A little shy and sad of eye, but very wise was he. Magic day he passed my way And while we spoke of many things Fools and kings This he said to me The greatest thing You'll ever learn Is just Good, Dennis. That song sounded swell. Thanks, Mr. Benny, but I think the orchestra should have played it with just a little more rhythm. I guess you're right, Dennis. Oh, Phil. I'll take care of it. Hey, fellas, when we do the number on the show, play it a little bit more pizza, uh, uh, pistachio. <laughs> That's pizzicato. <laughs> pistachio. When we give you the wrong word, you can't pronounce it. <laughs> Say, Dennis. <laughs> Dennis. <laughs> Say, Dennis, what time... Uh, Dennis, what? <laughs> Say, Dennis, what time did you get home from Palm Springs Sunday night? Hmm? Oh, I didn't get home Sunday. I got home late Wednesday and almost missed my own show. But you left Palm Springs Sunday night. 
What took you so long? Did your car break down? No, but I ran into a lot of traffic in Salt Lake City. <laughs> Salt Lake City? Dennis, why did you go from Palm Springs to Los Angeles by the way of Salt Lake City? I wanted to avoid the traffic light in Banning. <laughs> well, that's logical. But that wasn't the only reason. Well, I also wanted to break in my new car. My mother gave it to me for my birthday. Hey, congratulations, kid. When was your birthday? Last week. And I had a swell party, too. Refreshments and dancing and games like post office. <laughs> well, well. Who was there? Just me. <laughs> Yes, you. Dennis, how could you dance and play games all by yourself? It's done with mirrors. <laughs> oh, fine. Me having two shows, I can understand, but this kid's a mystery. <laughs> Dennis, why don't... Say, Jack, I... Oh, hello, Dennis. Hello. Well, hiya, Libby. You ravishing, gorgeous one, you. <laughs> hello, Phil. Say, Jack, what? the drugstore just sent back the pictures we took in Palm Springs. Oh, good, good. Let's take a look at them. Here's a picture of me taken near the pool in my bathing suit. Hey, let me see that, Livy. Here you are. Well, scudder who, scudder, hey. <laughs> oh, say, that's really a gorgeous bathing suit. Oh, it's nothing. Fatty can see, believe me. <laughs> and Phil, here's one of Jack in his bathing trunk. Let me have a figure of that. <laughs> oh, no, no. Oh, no, no. What are you laughing at? You look like a spider with four legs, miss. <laughs> All right, Phil, you can stop fizzing. Say, hey, Mary, can I see that picture of Mr. Benny? Here you are, Dennis. Gee, I don't know what Phil was laughing at. Thanks, kid. For a spider, you look pretty good. <laughs> well, now, I don't know whether you fellas are kidding me or not. Say, Jack, we better start rehearsing. We go on the air pretty soon. Yeah, let's get going, Jackson. The music's all ready. Good. Now, we... Hey, wait a minute. Where's Don? Oh, Don. Oh, here I am, Jack. Well, Don, it's getting kind of late, and we have to... Don. Don, did you... Did you pass an orange juice, stand? No, I always look like this. <laughs> oh. oh, I see. Well, look, Don, we've got practically everything ready but the quartet. Did you rehearse them? Oh, yes, Jack. I've got a great surprise for you. A surprise? Yes. For weeks now, your quartet's been rehearsing an operatic number, but they needed a soprano for the lead. Uh-huh. So I took the liberty of asking Miss Dorothy Kirsten to come over and join them. Well, I think it was very... Dorothy Kirsten? You don't mean Dorothy Kirsten of the Metropolitan Opera? Yes, Mr. Benny, and here I am. Miss Kirsten, this is indeed an honor and a great privilege having an operatic star like you on my program. Thank you, Mr. Benny. Coming from a violinist of your reputation, I consider that quite a compliment. Well, I, speaking of my <laughs> violin playing, I really shouldn't take too much credit for a talent that comes naturally. <laughs> Some talent. Your father used to tie a flat iron on the end of your bow so you could practice the violin and press pants at the same time. <laughs> Mary, please. Oh, Miss, uh, Miss Kirsten, this is Mary Livingston. How do you do, Miss Livingston? How do you do? And this is Dennis Day. Hello, Dennis. Glad to know you, Miss Kirsten. Dennis, you must be very proud to be associated with a man of Mr. Benny's stature and importance. In a bathing suit, he looks like a spider. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Day. <laughs> 
such a kid. You know? Oh, Miss Kirsten, I wanted to tell you that I saw you in Madame Butterfly Wednesday afternoon, and I thought your performance was simply magnificent. Well, thanks. Thanks awfully. It's an awfully nice and kind of you, Mr. Wilson. But uh, who could help singing Puccini? It's so expressive, and particularly in the last act, starting with the Allegro Vivatissimo. Well, now that's being very modest, Miss Kirsten, but not every singer has the necessary bel canto and flexibility or range to cope with the high testatura of the first act. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Wilson. And don't you think that in the aria Un bel di vedremo that the strings played with con molto passione exceptionally fine and with great sostenendo? Well, I thought... Oh, shut up! <laughs> Mary, that's not cricket. <laughs> now, I was only trying to be sociable, that's all. Gee, Miss Kirsten, I wish my mother was here. She'd enjoy meeting you. She's a singer, too. Oh, is your mother a soprano or a contralto? She's a baritone. <laughs> Dennis, please. You know, Miss Kirsten, my mother wanted me to become an opera singer. Well, it's a very exciting profession, indeed. But it requires intensive voice training. I studied 10 years. In Milan? No, do what did he? It must be a time. Well, Dorothy, when you do this same number on the show, I'd like to ask you a favor. When you finish the number, don't leave the stage. We may want an encore. Very well, Jack. And now there's something I'd like to ask you. What is it? Where did you get those darling open-toed shoes? <laughs> I'm sorry, I meant to take them off. It's a long story, but here's what happened. Everybody on stage, everybody on stage. The program goes on in two minutes. Come on, Dorothy, come on, kids. Let's give them a great show. Come on. Ladies and gentlemen, the majority of American hospitals now have patients waiting to be admitted, and the situation in many areas is growing steadily worse because of insufficient nursing personnel. All young women between the ages of 17 and 35 who are high school or college graduates are urged to apply for admission in any one of the 1,300 accredited schools of nursing. Apply to the one nearest you. Thank you. I want to thank Ms. Dorothy Kirsten of the Metropolitan Opera for helping us out tonight. I also want to thank Ronald Coleman for helping me across the street. <laughs> and now, if you'll excuse me, folks, my feet are killing me. Good night. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We've just heard a 1948 episode of The Jack Benny Show. Now stay tuned for a 1950 episode of the radio version of Dragnet, The Big Mother. have been changed to protect the innocent. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a homicide detail. A newborn baby is taken from a hospital nursery. There's no trace of the infant. There's no trace of the abductor. Your job, find him.
Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Thursday, January 28th. It was raining in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of homicide. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Captain Steed. My name's Friday. It was 11.35 p.m. when we got to Mercy Hospital on Norwich Avenue, the main entrance. Uh, better check at the desk. Yeah. To be right away on To be Wayne. Yes, sir? Police officers, we received a call from the hospital here. Oh, yes, sir. Right this way, please. Yes, ma'am. Dr. Walsh is waiting for you. Is he the man in charge? Oh, no. Dr. Walsh is the head of the hospital. I see. Please, Dr. Walsh. Hi. Come in, please. Come in. Thank you, miss. Yes, Dr. Walsh. How do you do? It's my partner, Sergeant Romero. My name's Friday. Yes, I'm I'm waiting for you. Do you have a seat, please? Thank you. Thank you, sir. Gentlemen, I just got here a few moments ago myself. No doubt you know as much about this as I do. We were notified that a three-day-old baby's missing. Is that correct? Yes, one of the Stryker twins. Born just Tuesday morning. Mm-hmm. Where'd the baby disappear from, Doctor? Nursery. Can't understand how it could happen. Never heard of such a thing. Who was in charge of the nursery? Nurse O'Connor. She's back with the superintendent of nurses. Quite upset. Would you like to talk to her? Yes, sir, we would. All right. This way, please. Thank you. Understand it. How could a baby disappear like that? Have the parents been notified? Father's on his way in now. We haven't told the mother yet. Mm-hmm. When did they first notice the baby was gone? I understand it was around 11 p.m. Call came into our office about 11.20. Go ahead, Sergeant. Miss O'Connor? Yes, Dr. Walsh. These gentlemen are from the police department. Sergeant Romero, Sergeant Freddy. How are you, What do you do? They want to know all about what happened tonight. You know, of course, it's a serious matter. Try to tell exactly how it happened. I'll try, Doctor. All right, officers. Thank you. Well, we know that you're probably pretty upset, nurse, now. You just relax and take your time. Yes, sir. When did you first notice that the striker baby was missing? Must have happened somewhere between 11 o'clock and 10 minutes past 11. I'm sure of that. How are you sure of that? I came on duty a few minutes before 11. I took the night reports as usual, and I started checking the orders and the formulas. I remember very well that both the striker twins were in their cribs at that time. Mm-hmm. Go on, please. I think it must have been about five minutes past 11 when I got this phone call from home. My mother's been sick lately. It was about her. How far did you have to go to answer the phone? About 10 feet down the hall from the nursery, just around the corner. Could you see the entrance to the nursery from where you were talking on the phone? No, sir, I couldn't. But I was only on the phone for a minute or two. As soon as I hung up, I came right back to the nursery. Was the telephone call actually from your mother? Yes, sir. My mother has a heart condition. She wanted me to be sure and have a prescription filled. What time was it when you got back to the nursery, owner? Can you remember that? It wasn't quite 10 minutes past 11. So I came back through the door into the nursery, I noticed right away one of the cribs was empty. One of the striker twins was gone. Is there more than one entrance to the nursery, Miss O'Connor? Yes, sir. There are two entrances, but at night, one of them's kept locked. Mm-hmm. Is it possible that somebody in the hospital, maybe a doctor, took the baby for examination or some kind of treatment? No, sir. Just as soon as I noticed the baby was gone, I went to the head nurse, and the two of us contacted everybody in the hospital. No one knew anything about it. Well, is it possible that the child's mother could have come down from the second floor and taken the baby? No, sir. Miss Stryker's been asleep since 10 o'clock. She's still asleep. Were there any other nurses or attendants working near the nursery when the baby disappeared? No. No reason for anyone besides myself to be around at that time. None of the cleaning people. They'd all gone home. Dr. Walsh, I wonder if we could have a look at the nursery now. Certainly, Sergeant. 
Want Nurse O'Connor to come along? Yes, would you please? Yes, sir. Thank you. Gentlemen, straight down the hall. What are the hospital visiting hours, Doctor? The usual. Two until four in the afternoon, seven to nine in the evenings. Quite strict about that. Mm-hmm. Do you know if all the visitors had left the hospital by nine o'clock tonight? Well, of course, I wasn't here, but the superintendent of nurses told me they'd all left by nine. She's compiling a list of every visitor we had this evening. Oh, good. They'll all have to be checked. Nurses right here, officers. Mm-hmm. This empty crib just inside the window here. Yes, sir. It's where the baby was. You can see it's right next to the door here. I noticed that there's no blanket in the crib. Is that missing, too? Yes, sir. The crib's just the way I found it when I came back from the telephone. I haven't touched it. Are there any marks of identification on the blanket or the clothing? Each one stenciled Mercy Hospital. Each baby wears an ID bracelet. Doctor, I wonder if we could have that crib brought out to have a check for possible fingerprints. Certainly, of course. Is this the other door to the nursery you mentioned, Miss O'Connor? That's right, Sergeant. I checked it. It's locked. That large window on the other side of the nursery. Is that a stationary window? Yes, sir, it is. It faces onto a small court. Well, then whoever took the baby had to use this door. It's the only way they could have gotten in. Oh, excuse me a minute. I want to attend to the baby in there. Sure. Listen to that, Jim. Yeah. Doctor, are there any other entrances open at night besides the main one? Not after 10 p.m., no. Just the main entrance on Norwich Avenue. There's a nurse on duty there at all times. How about the parents? Is there anything unusual there? No. Father's a working man. Mother's a housewife. Both the babies are perfectly normal. Nothing unusual at all. Three-day-old baby. They usually take a lot of careful handling, don't they? Yes, definitely. First week's always critical. And this thing, taking a three-day-old infant out in this weather, cold, rain. Afraid the odds are all against the child. You're sure the main entrance was the only one open after 10 o'clock? Yes, I can't understand it. How could anyone get that baby out of that hospital? How could they? We're not sure they did. Midnight. A three-day-old twin boy was missing from his crib in the hospital nursery. That's all we knew. We checked the list of possibilities. The baby could have been taken for ransom. Somebody wanted revenge on the Stryker family and decided on the baby as the best means. Maybe someone just wanted a child. Someone mentally unsound, a maniac, a pervert. Maybe an accident had happened at the hospital. Somebody wanted to cover up. Possibly one of the parents or their families had a motive. Perhaps somebody just wanted the child dead. We called the office and got out an APB on the striker baby and a description of the blanket and the clothing. Details of officers were alerted at the bus depots, railroad terminals, the airports, all public transportation facilities. Steps were taken to notify doctors, hospitals, sanitariums, anybody in any place where a three-day-old baby might be taken. The entire area around Mercy Hospital was canvassed. No information. The baby's crib was dusted for prints. No leads, no physical evidence. The investigation continued. When George Stryker, the father of the child, arrived, Ben and I met with him in the office of the hospital superintendent. Can we let people know about it? Newspapers and the radio? We've already covered that. Stories and pictures have gone out to the papers. We've notified the radio stations. They're getting our broadcasts on it. How am I going to tell my wife? Well, sir, there's only one thing that we can promise you. We'll do everything we can to find your baby. Well, isn't there something I can do? Isn't there some way I can help? This is just a remote possibility, Mr. Stryker, but you ought to know about it. What's that? In case anybody contacts you regarding your baby, in case they make any demands on you for money or anything else, we want you to notify us immediately. What could they expect to get from us? We own our home, that's about all. We just want to cover all the possibilities, Mr. Stryker. In case any demand at all is made, don't try to deal with the people. All right? Yes, sir, I understand. Sergeant? Yeah. One of the men from Homicide would like to see you outside. Sergeant will leave us full. Thank you, Doctor. We'll have to go now, Mr. Stryker. We'll keep you informed. 
All right, thank you. Joe? Yeah, I'll leave us. I think we got something back here. What's that? And Cenas and I were the night watchman out back, the side of the hospital that faces on Stacy Avenue. Yeah. Two doors back there, just off the street. One of them's open. Together with Sergeant Olivas and Dr. Walsh, the head of the hospital, we went back and examined the side door which opened onto Stacy Avenue. The latch was obviously faulty. It took only slight pressure on the door to open it. The latch, both doorknobs, and the door itself were dusted for prints. The entranceway and the immediate area were rechecked. No leads, no physical evidence. We traced an imaginary path from the open door to the nursery. We came to the conclusion that it could have been possible for an abductor to enter the hospital, make his way to the nursery, take the child from its crib in the absence of the night nurse, and leave by the same side door without being seen. Storekeepers and residents along Stacy Avenue were re-questioned. We got nowhere. When the abduction story broke in the newspaper and over the radio the next morning, the call started to come in. People in practically all sections of the city thought that they'd seen the missing baby. Each call was carefully checked out. None of them paid off. 10 a.m. We checked back in at the office. I must be getting old, Joe. Can't seem to take these all-night sessions like I used to. Oh, yeah, I'm pretty tired. I drank too much coffee again. I got a sour stomach. Hi. Hi, Olivas. Right. Stats office come up with that run for us yet? No, they're still working on it. How about that San Bernardino call? Yeah, they called back. They picked the woman up when she got off the bus, checked her and the baby out. Baby belongs to her. Mm-hmm. Anything else come in? All been checked out. Uh, the press called again. Want to know if there are any new leads. Yeah. Sergeant Friday in here? Yes, sir. Can I help you? They told me in the business office to come down and see you. Surely. Come on in. Thanks. My name's Wallace. I'm the desk clerk down to the hotel on 11th Street, Bluebird Hotel. Yes, sir. I got some information. I'd like to talk to you. All right, sir. This is my partner, Sergeant Romero. Sergeant Olivas. Hey, Wallace. Uh, what's the information about? Well, I got hold of a paper this morning, read about that baby that's missing. Yes, sir. Imagine those people are pretty worried about the kid. Guess they'd like all the information they can get, huh? Looks like that hospital's in the jam, wouldn't you say? Well, what information do you have, Wallace? I guess those parents could sue the hospital if they wanted to, huh? Well, sir, all we're interested in is finding the baby. Can you help us there? Well, I don't know for sure. What are you trying to tell us? Have you seen the baby? Well, I may have. Do you happen to know if they're offering any reward for information? Well, I don't know where it'd come from. The father's a working man. Oh, don't get me wrong, Sergeant. I don't expect anything for any information I'd give, but... Well, I don't make too, too much at the hotel. You know, if they wanted to show their gratitude in some way, just thought I'd mention it. Well, thank you, Wallace. Don't worry about that. Now, what's the information? Well, you know, I didn't mean anything by that. Anybody be glad to help out in a case like this. What I came in to tell you was a woman and a young baby checked in the hotel last night when I was on duty. What time? I think it was about 12 o'clock. Woman didn't have any baggage or anything. One little blanket around the kid. When I saw that story in the paper this morning, I got suspicious. The woman still registered at the hotel? She was when I left. That was about an hour ago. What name did she register under? You remember? No, I don't, but it's in the register. You can check it if you want. Where is the hotel? 11th and Charleston, right on the corner. I'm sure it must be the kid you're looking for. Say, uh, I hope you haven't got me wrong. How do you mean? About the reward, you know. I don't expect anything for this. We haven't got you wrong. 35 a.m., it was still raining. Together with the desk clerk, Wallace, we drove to the Bluebird Hotel on 11th Street. We checked the cards at the desk and found that the woman had registered under the name of Mrs. Harold Parks. The clerk on duty told us as far as he knew she was still in the room with the baby. The room's down this way, Sergeant. Okay. 
This is the one, 16. Mrs. Parks. Mrs. Parks. You have a passkey with you, Wallace? Yeah, here you are. Thank you. listening to Dragnet, authentic stories of your police force in action. Friday, January 29th, 11 a.m. We were unable to locate the woman who had registered at the hotel under the name of Mrs. Parks. There was no sign of the baby. The blanket we found in the room was identified by hospital personnel as the same type used in the nursery. The room was checked for fingerprints and physical evidence. We found nothing. People in adjoining rooms were questioned, but they could give us no information. We got a description of the woman who used the name Mrs. Parks from the desk clerk, and we got out an all-points bulletin on her. Her hotel registration card was checked for handwriting and fingerprints. Captain Steed ordered an immediate canvas of all hotels, apartments, and rooming houses in the central area. The hotel clerks were shown mug shots of possible suspects. They failed to identify any of them. 3 p.m. Friday, the search for the striker baby went on. Yeah, checked out all right. Okay, Gil, thanks. Anything? Gil and Zanus, check that Wilshire calls another phone. Might have something, fellas. Yeah? Ruiz and I were making the rounds of hotels out along Pico. Stopped at a drugstore for a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. We talked to druggists while we were there. Had a pretty good story for us. Uh, you got a light? Yeah. Here you go. Thanks. This uh, drugstore is two blocks from the hotel where the woman stayed. It's open all night. And the druggist told us a woman answering this Mrs. Parks description came in about 1.30 a.m., bought a whole raft of stuff. Mm-hmm. How do you mean? What kind of stuff? Well, everything for a baby. Bottles, nipples, dextrose, oil powder, you know, all that stuff. Was he sure of the woman's description? He gave it to us before we'd even mentioned what this Mrs. Parks looked like. Right down at the color of her coat. Did she have the baby with her when she bought this stuff? And the druggist said no. She even asked him if she could buy canned milk there. Where's it lead? How do you mean? Does he have any idea where the woman came from, where she went? No, but he said if she came back in again, he'd call us right away. He's going to notify the other clerks, too. They'll keep us posted if anything turns up. I got it. Homicide, Friday. My name's Mrs. Lucy. I'm calling about that missing baby in the paper. Am I talking to the right department? Yes, ma'am. Do you have any information on the case? Well, I certainly have. I know where that striker baby is right now. Where's that, ma'am? Right next door. The Salazars have him. What makes you so sure? It's perfectly obvious, that's all. It's not their baby. Why do you say that? That baby they have no more looks like Mr. Salazar. Mrs. Salazar and mine do. How do you mean, Mrs. Lucy? It's very simple. Mr. Salazar is dark, quite dark. Dark hair, dark eyes, dark complexion. His wife's the same way. Yes, ma'am. baby they have is a blonde. Before I hung up, I got the woman's name and address and told her that we'd check out her neighbors, Mr. and Mrs. Salazar. We weren't sure what it meant. It could be the real thing. It could be like a hundred other calls that we'd had in the last 12 hours. Ben and I got in the car and drove out to the Salazar home on Wonderland Avenue. We noticed several cars parked in the driveway and in front of the house. We went up the front stairs and rang the doorbell. Yes, sir? Come on in, please. We'd like to speak to Mr. Salazar. Yes, sir, that's me. Come on in. Thank you. Come inside. Let me fix you a drink. 
You're late, huh? No, thank you. We're police officers, Mr. Salazar. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Oh? What's the matter? Are we making too much noise for the neighbors? No, it's not that, sir. Just like to ask you a few questions. Someplace we can talk. Well, I have to take care of the guests, you know. We have this party here. My son was baptized today, my first son. That's why we're having a party. Yes, sir. We're sorry to interrupt, but it's pretty important. It won't take very long. Well, all right. I guess they can get along for a few minutes. Back here in the kitchen is probably the quietest place. Fine. Back this way, officer? Fine. Over there. Pull up a couple of chairs. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Salazar, this is my partner, Sergeant Romero. My name's Friday Homicide. Yes, sir. What's the matter? What do you want to ask me? We're investigating a case that involves a missing baby, sir. Well, the one in the paper this morning. I read about that. It's a terrible thing, isn't it? Yes, sir, it is. We've had a report that the missing baby was seen in this neighborhood. We don't know how true it is, but we have orders to check it out. Well, sure, anything I can do. I don't know how much I can help, but I can understand how that mama and papa feel. My brand-new son, I know how I'd feel. How old is your son, Mr. Salazar? He's just one week old this afternoon. Fine boy. Was the baby born here in Los Angeles? No, I sent my wife, Roberta, to Phoenix to have a baby. We thought it'd be a lot healthier for her down there. She has a good friend of hers in Phoenix. Oh, I see. Your wife had the baby in Phoenix, and then she brought him back here. Yes, that's right. Roberta came in early this morning. Big surprise for me. I didn't know she was coming. And right away, I called all our old friends. I called Father DeSoto for the baptism, and I got things ready for the party. Big baptism party. Mm-hmm. You say your wife got back early this morning? Yes, a few minutes after 3 o'clock. Roberta came in on the plane. She said it was late. You know, the big storm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wonder if we could talk to your wife, Mr. Salazar. Well, Roberta's taking a little nap right now. She got in late, you know, all the excitement. Do we have to wake her up? Well, no, sir, not right away. I just wonder if we could see the baby. Well, baby's sleeping, too. Roberta said not to go in, but... Well, if you're real quiet... Yes, sir, we'll be. Okay, he's right back here. Stall from latent fingerprints arrived at the Salazar home. The footprint of the missing child taken at the time of birth was compared with the print from the child the Salazars had. The prints were identical. The missing baby had been found. 5.20 p.m. Ben and I talked with Mrs. Salazar in the kitchen of her home. The christening party went on. I don't think I understand what this is all about, officer. What has my baby got to do with all this? You know as well as we do, Mrs. Salazar. That baby in there, it doesn't belong to you. It's not yours. What do you mean it's not mine? Of course it's my baby. My husband's and mine. I just brought him from Phoenix last night. That's where the baby was born. What are you trying to do to me? That baby isn't yours, Mrs. Salazar. Now, you know that. It was taken from the hospital. How about the truth? You don't know what you're saying. You don't know what you're talking about. It's my baby. He was baptized today. Juan Tomas Salazar. It's my baby. This is a pretty serious matter, ma'am. The baby's footprint has been checked out. The child belongs to a Mrs. Stryker. We want to know how you happen to have him. Because he's my baby. That's why I have him. You don't know what a mistake you're making. He's my baby. I brought him from Phoenix last night. You can ask my husband. He'll tell you. 
A woman checked in at the Bluebird Hotel on 11th Street about midnight last night, Mrs. Salazar. She had a young baby with her. You fit her description. I didn't go to a hotel last night. The plane landed here from Phoenix. I came right home. The hotel clerk remembers you. He can identify you. So can the druggist when you bought the supplies from. I bought nothing. The plane landed. I came home. It's my baby. It's my baby. We found the baby's blanket in the hotel room you rented. We have your description from at least three people, even the color of the coat you wore last night. You can't take him away. He belongs to me. Me and Frank, you can't take him away, please. You can't. Miss Salazar, why don't you put yourself in the place of the real mother of that baby? How do you think she feels about her baby being taken away? How about it, Miss Salazar? Have a drink, officers, please, for the party. Have a drink, I'll tell you. Tell us what, ma'am. I'm tired. Let me sit down. Yeah. Just for a few minutes. I, I tell you how it happened. I know you... You understand. Yes, ma'am. It'll be 11 years next month that Frank and I were married. I don't have to tell you we want a baby. Frank always wanted a baby. But no more than I did. It's what we live for. A baby of our own. Yes, ma'am. Boy or girl, we didn't care. But we didn't have one. For 11 years, we didn't have one. Then last April, that's when the doctor told me. He said I was going to have a baby. Yes, ma'am, I understand. Well... A month before the baby was born, we thought it would be better if I went to my friend's place in Phoenix, Arizona. For the winter, you know, it would be warmer there. Frank thought it would be nicer for me and the baby. Your husband was still in Los Angeles? Yes, he tried to come to Phoenix, but he had to work, so I had my baby alone. It was a boy. My friend was with me. She'll tell you it was a boy. Mm. Yes, ma'am. I kept calling for him to bring my baby. It was a long time I kept calling. Then they finally came, and the doctor, too. And he's the one that told me. Yes, ma'am. He looked just like his father. I know that. But they told me he was dead. I don't remember much after that, Sergeant. I got out of the hospital, and I took the plane, and I came back here. Mm-hmm. It was dark and it was raining. But I walked around. I walked up and down the streets, thinking, what could I tell Frank? Baby was dead, that's all I could tell him. Then I walked past the hospital. That was Mercy Hospital, huh? Yes. And it was raining. And I could see all those babies inside, warm and in their cribs. And I wanted just one of them. Just one for Frank and me. So I went in the side door and I found the nursery. And when the nurse was gone, I took him and left. My baby. I went to the hotel to keep him out of the rain. And when it cleared a little, I took him home. I took him home to Frank. I took my baby home. That's why you want my baby, isn't it? Because I took him. 
because my baby died and I took him. Everything will be all right, Miss Salazar. I think we can straighten it out. Roberta, you talked to the officers? Frank, what do you want me to say? It'll be all right, officers. Won't everything be all right? Yes, sir, I think we can work it out. What could I tell you, Frank? What was that to say to you? It's all right, honey. It's all right. I go out and tell the people now. And what can you say? What can you tell them? The party's over. It's just a mistake. The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. In a moment, the results of the trial. Roberta Salazar was examined by six psychiatrists and was ordered to be placed in a state mental institution for treatment. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases, portions transcribed from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We've just heard a 1950 episode of the radio version of Dragnet, The Big Mother. I owe 
Where everyone goes To see the way a washerwoman washes her clothes If you like boogie-woogie rhythm, she's gotta be Let the boogie-woogie washerwoman give you a treat 
On every afternoon at one the sessions begin And all the boys from all the bands come down and sit in They sit around and knock each other out when they play While the boogie woogie washer woman washes all day Rubbly up dub That's just the way she rubs Rubbly up dub That's just the way she scrubs Rubbly up dub She wears out all her tubs She rubs and rubs her knuckles right on down to the nubs Rubbly up dub That's how she kicks it off Rubbly up dub She keeps it nice and soft Rubbly up dub Someone hollers all, scrub me mama with a boogie beat You really ought to visit there if you've never been It doesn't cost a penny, just come down and walk in If you like boogie woogie rhythm, you'll get a treat Let the boogie woogie wash a woman give you the beat just heard Scrub Me Mama with a boogie beat, featuring Ray McKinley with Will Bradley and his orchestra. Before that, the 1930 Carson Robeson Trio presented Just Break the News to Mother. And our motherly bonus set commenced with Henry Burr spelling out M-O-T-H-E-R. Thank you, dear friends. This concludes today's show. On behalf of around the world's staff of researchers, recording engineers, interns, and Victrola technicians, this is Cracklin' Jane. Thank you, and see you next week! for Jazz Potpourri, airing Wednesdays from 2.30 to 4.30 p.m., with a repeat on Saturdays from 4 to 6 p.m. 
from divas to crooners, from the streets of New Orleans to the clubs of Paris, with a little Latin added for spice, Jazz Potpourri is an auditory mix for your listening pleasure. Join me Wednesdays and Saturdays on 93.3 FM, WSHD LP, Eastport. I'm on about that base. Hey, have I got a radio show for you. Old Coasting comes at you twice a week. Thursday at 8, Sunday at 4. Right here on WSHDLP in Eastport, Maine, 93.3 FM. On Bold Coasting, we don't just play the music. Uh, we like to talk about it a little bit, too. It's music and commentary. It's a radio show with liner notes. You kids can ask your parents what that means. Every Saturday night at 7 and again on Tuesdays at 8 for Philly Joe Remarkable's Mad Pad right here on WSHDLP Eastport, Maine, 93.3 on your FM dial. Man, take this crazy pad. Man, it's a mad pad. Listening to WSHDLP Eastport, broadcasting from the hallowed hallways of Shed High School. Tune in Mondays 4 to 6 p.m. for Around the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane, featuring historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world, plus radio dramas from the golden age of radio. If you missed the show, don't despair. There's a repeat broadcast on Fridays, 6 to 8 p.m., and if you miss that, just go to www.cracklinjane.com and download or stream the show at your leisure. Come on by Sam's Caffeine Cafe every Tuesday and Thursday morning from 8 until 10 a.m. I'm Sam, the proprietor. I keep all the tables clean. There are no sesame seeds on the floor, no schmutz from the night before, just good music. The first hour, a little bit softer, some Americana, folk, blues, a little bit of jazz, but by 9 o'clock, we are amped up on caffeine. We're playing up-tempo music all hour long. It's a grab bag. It's a fun place to hang out, and we would love to have you. We would. Please come by 93.3 WSHDLP Eastport. Hi, this is Craig Williams. I've been collecting music first on 45s, then LPs, cassettes, CDs, and digital files for over 40 years. From the obscure to the sublime and the familiar to the mundane, it's pretty much all pop music of just about any era or genre. And I call sharing it with you unabashedly playing favorites. Please tune in every Friday from 1 to 2 p.m. right here on WSHD LP Eastport, 93.3 FM. 